Greetings from Baltimore, where yesterday we were supposed to get four to eight inches of snow, and I said, peace. <laughs> I came down here, it was a little, a little, uh, little drizzly, a little rainy, but I said, I'll take that all day long and twice on Saturday. Greetings from my children, Caleb, who is uh, in seventh grade, and ladies, he's single, <laughs> just putting it out there. And he sure would, peep. So my daughter, she is uh, nine, going on to be your uh, first female president, because that's who she thinks she is already. She is a firecracker, and I told her she's fine the date after 30. I'm good with that. So, uh, so she's, she's amazing, and, and my wife, Christy, um, sends her greetings as well. She um, wanted to be here today, uh, but we've, we've got a lot going on and disrupting the kids and all that, so I'm going to... Get her down here the next uh, time that we come. Uh, I want you to know um, I, I love your pastor. I love your pastor so much. Um, you guys see the times that I get brought in and things like that, but um, just behind the scenes, he's the real deal. Um, just a, a loving, caring man, and uh, I, I don't have enough good words to say um, about him, but I'm, I'm thankful for him, and uh, he texted me this morning. And told me, don't blow it. <laughs> now he, he prayed. <laughs> he told me to, to uh, that he prayed for us, and I'm looking forward to that. And then, uh, Mr. Jim McBride, I'm so excited for you, and it's good to see you well, and strong. And uh, I, I love him. I told people he's the one that gave me the three-hour colonoscopy before Sherwood decided to. Uh, partner with our church. Was that too much for the morning service? Well, this will be the last time I'm here. But no, I, I love Jim, and uh, the Spencers picked me up, and I, I got to eat at a farm-to-table restaurant, or as uh, John calls it, uh, chick food. So uh, I enjoy the chick food. And uh, it, it was really, really good. So thank you for taking care of me. I'm excited to be with you today. I'm going to be in Matthew chapter 13 for the most part. Matthew chapter 13. And uh, this time of year, we just had uh, Easter last week. And um, it's a great celebration on the Christian calendar, obviously our, our uh, pinnacle. Um, but the, the problem I've, I've seen with Easter sometimes is we, we treat it like you know, kind of the, the, the World Series or the Super Bowl, and, and we get all pumped up, and Easter, 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 and there's churches that go out, and, and they'll shoot off fireworks in the service, and, and, you know, the pastor will parachute in just to impress the people that are visiting on that one Sunday, and we treat it like this big culmination, and then last week, I kid you not, several pastors told me, hey, I'm going on vacation now. I'm like, for what? You showed up to work. But, but we, they, they put so much energy into the one day that the following few weeks, or, or it might take a month, for them to recover and to get back. And I think we all kind of have a habit of doing that, and we need to be cheered on. And that's what I want to do today, is to cheer you on, that Easter should be the beginning, not the ending, and it's not the culmination, it's just the start. And so today I want to be able to talk to you a little bit about uh, cheering you on in, in that race the, the compelling call is what I want to talk about today. 
Speaking of race, I, um, I, I decided to start running. Now, the Bible says that you should not run if no one is chasing you. And uh, it's true, it's in there. But it's, it's in Hezekiah. So I, 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 I hate running. I don't want to run. I, I have zero desire to. But I knew I had to start running when uh, I would go to these pastor meetings and I would preach or something and the guy following me would say, you know, well, I can't fit into my skinny jeans anymore like Tolly. And I'm like, bro, these are like bootleg jeans. Like the, these, <laughs> these are boot cut. I don't wear skinny jeans, but I started to fill them out too much. So I decided I need to go ahead and start running. And uh, so I got into running and uh, I say I got into running. I've, I've run like three times in the last month. But one of those times... <laughs> One of those times was a 5K race through Baltimore. And uh, I, I promise you, y'all, I, I went and got my running shoes a month before the race. I called up a friend. I signed up my son, my friend, his son. We all got out there to race this, this 5K. Now, if you're a real runner in the building, then you, I, I know you want to just laugh at me for even calling a 5K a race. I mean, to you, that's like your, your wake up. Like you, you get out of bed and you do 5K, but help us out, people. I mean, come on. Look at me. So... So the 5K, I went ahead and I ran. But here's a beautiful thing. Um, the first day I went into the gym, I did all my, my, my stuff with my trainer. I got myself together. And then the following day, I'm like, man, I got to keep, keep this a habit. So I went and I played uh, basketball. But I had my running shoes on because I was going to run after. Yeah, I know, not too bright. And I went and played basketball in my running shoes. And sure enough, I went up for a rebound and I came down on somebody's ankle and I twisted my right ankle on my second day of trying to run. How ridiculous, isn't it? And so then I go out to this, I didn't run anymore for like four weeks until the race day, and I got myself out there, started running, and, and I'm feeling good, you know? Those first 10 steps, man, I felt like a champ. I'm like, this is all it is? And I get down, and, and I'm coming up on a half a mile, and I'm starting to feel my lungs on the outside of my body. And, and my legs are starting to tight up, tighten up. And, and I come up to a mile. And, and I, I told myself, like, you, you know, you got to make it all the way to a mile before you slow down. And uh, so I did. Now, fortunately, the first half a mile of this 5K was downhill. So I was, I was like, let's do it. But we get up to a mile. And here's what I learned about the, the running community. I get up to a mile. And the front runners, the leaders they had already started to circle back. I'm like, I'm and But as they did, here's the beautiful thing. As they did, everybody in front of me, who has apparently done this before, started to clap and cheer for the front runners. And I was like, why are you cheering for them? They're beating you. This is totally wrong. This goes against every competitive. But, but they're cheering. And I'm like, man, okay, fine, yay. And I... I went ahead and, and I turned, and then before long, I get to the finish line. And guess who I see? A lot of the front runners paying it back, and they're cheering. And so then I stand around, and I'm like, well, man, I remember there, there was some people with some kids that looked like they might have had disabilities. There were some um, older folks that were there. There were some people that just looked like that they must have a story to be in this race still. So I stood at the finish line and I waited and I was able to cheer for them. You see, I really believe a lot of us are in this race of life 
And sometimes we can find ourselves defeated and, and beat down and, and, and we really need somebody to come along once in a while and to encourage us and to cheer for us and say, hey, finish the race, finish the race, finish the race. And so today I pray that that's part of what you receive today. I want to cheer you on. But we all have this problem. This problem is a sin that I call the sin of settling. The sin of settling. We find ourselves in such a way that when we start to move forward, when we start to progress, when we start to get to the area that we hoped we would when we were younger, we begin to settle. Or maybe you tried to, to reach your goals and it wasn't working out and so you decided, hey, that's enough, I'll just settle. And so we settle, we settle in all kinds of areas. We settle in our relationships, we settle in education, we settle on the job, we settle all, in all areas of our lives. And then we live this mundane existence kind of looking at God saying, God, I thought you had for me an abundant life. And he says, I, I do, but you're settling for something less. Now, I won't ask you to raise your hand, but I bet that many of us would say, yeah, that's me. There is an area or multiple areas of my life where I am settling. Let me tell you today, you should never settle for less than God's best. You should never settle for less than God's best. Best. A lot of times when you hear that expression, it's somebody trying to tell you you're supposed to be a millionaire, you're supposed to be rich, you're supposed to have it all together. And a lot of times when you hear that, never settle for less, you think of it in, in those terms. But I want to tell you today, no, 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 God's best is simply his plan. God's best is the thing that he designed you for. God's best is who he's called you to be. He created you, he made you, he sustained you, he knows you intimately, and he loves you anyway. And he's got a plan for you. He's got a plan for you. You should never settle for less than his best. Here's how I define contentment, or I believe contentment should be defined for us. I don't want more than God plans for me, but I also don't want less. I don't want more than what God plans for me, meaning I, I will be completely content in what the Lord has for me, but I also don't want less than what God has for me. Many of us, we have said, you know, I, I won't try to, to, to covet, I won't try to be jealous, I won't try to go and achieve more, and so as a result, we say, I'm just going to settle, and I've got news for you today. There is a sin called settling. If you're not dead, God's not done, and he's got a plan and a purpose and a calling on your life, and you've got to decide, am I going to embrace it, or am I going to embrace the sin of settling? For some of you, it means that you only have a goal, your whole goal for a lot of years was to get married. And then your whole goal was if we would only have kids. Your whole goal was if we could get to that house, if we could get to that job, if we could make this much money, if we could get that car. And your whole goal got you to a place. And so you got there and you looked around and you just said, oh, I'm so grateful, Lord. And then you settled. I don't want more than what God wants for me. But I also don't want less. So what does God want for us? A little hint was dropped in Matthew 6, 10. Your kingdom come, and the Lord, the Lord told us to pray this way, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Can you repeat your will be done? Your will be done. Now say it like you mean it. Say it as a prayer to the Lord right now. Your will be done. You see, that is, that is not settling. 
That is not reaching for more. That is not trying to become something God didn't tell you to. But it's saying, Lord, you have a will. You have a plan. Speaking of that plan, we, uh, we bought a house last year and we renovated. And as we did these renovations, my contractor had to submit um, a plan a master plan to be sure it was safe. When you build a new home or you have a plot of land, you have to submit a master plan. A city councilman has a master plan. They kind of know where they're headed. And I got news for you today. If the Lord knows you and sustains you and he designed you and he knows who he's called you to be, guess what? For your life and for mine, the Lord has a master plan. Look at the definition of a master plan. A comprehensive or far-reaching plan of action. A comprehensive or far-reaching plan of action. Did you know that God has a master plan for your life? He knows your weaknesses. He knows your strengths. He knows where you've been. He knows where he's trying to take you. He knows the place, the time in history, your parents, whether or not you were a quote-unquote an accident, whether or not dad was involved in your life, whether or not mom walked out. He knows all this. But he's got a master plan. You've got to decide whether or not I'm going to follow his master plan. There are some people that don't do master planning very well, and I thought I would bring a few pictures so that you could see. I'm just going to go ahead and tell you, that, that's not in the master plan. Let's see another one. Does anybody see anything wrong with that door? No master plan. Here's a good, listen, if you need a wheelchair ramp, no problem. We'll put you on, we'll put you on right in. Somebody walked away with a paycheck for that. Oh, here's, my, here's the best, right? Here's the best. Don't let the kids try to get in the bathroom there. Woo! <laughs> you know, these are, we laugh, but these are how we handle life, isn't it? That this is what we do. We, we don't go to the Lord and say, Lord, you've got a master plan for my life. You know who I'm designed to be. You know how. So, Lord, I'm going to seek you. Tell me what I have to do. Tell me what my right foot, my left foot should do. Tell me what's next. Instead of doing that, what we do is we take whatever circumstance we got ourselves in and we, we kind of we, we fudge it, you know? We, we just cut around the door or we put a chair where stairs should go. We just kind of create ways to get through life. And then we turn around and we look at the, the masterpiece that we've made. <laughs> and then we say, Lord, what's going on with my life? I can just imagine God as a contractor over to the side with a pencil in his ear. Glad you decided to reach out to me. <laughs> I know what I'm doing in your life, but you've got to follow the master's plan. You see, the the point is, is that your kingdom should come, your will should be done on earth that is in heaven. But this idea of kingdom, Matthew 6, says, but seek first, everybody say first. first. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things. It's a beautiful passage. If you go back and, and, and read it, I don't have time today, but if you go back and read it, these are things like clothing, shelter, food, I mean, these, these aren't like tickets to Disney. 
These, these are things that there's, hey, Lord, will you be there for me? And he said, you know what? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added. Seek first the kingdom. I truly believe many of us don't know what seeking the kingdom might look like. So today what I want to do is to take you on a tour of Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13, beginning in verse 18, has a lot of different illustrations of what the kingdom is so that we would wake up to it and we would begin to follow the master's plan and we would begin to pursue the kingdom of God in our lives. What does it look like? What is this kingdom I'm supposed to be seeking? Here we go. Matthew 13, 18 says, Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. Here's the lesson. There is no worship on the well-worn path. Many of us, instead of consulting the master's plan, instead of consulting what the Lord wants to do, we just take the path that we saw in our father. We take the path that we saw in our uncle. We take the path that we see from so-called so successful people, and we just kind of take the path to try to get by. And when you do that, when all you do is not seek the kingdom, not seek the Lord, you just kind of do what everybody else is doing, then you go along with the herd, and, and the scripture says, hey, on that well-worn path, there's no true worship. What do I need to worship God for if all I got to do is follow the person in front of me? I don't have to think. I don't have to pray. I don't have to seek the Lord. I'm just going to follow right behind the tail of somebody in front of me. And if that's what I do, where's the worship? Where's seeing God do the impossible? Where's seeing God come through when no, nobody thought he would come through? On the well-worn path, there is no Worship. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet he has no root in himself. But he endures for a while, and when tribulation or persecution arises on the account of the word, immediately he falls away. There's no roots on the rocky road. There's no roots on the rocky road. No worship on the well-worn path. No roots on the rocky road. Many of us, we kind of just do the Bible thing, do the church thing, but we don't really plant roots. We don't really dig into the word for ourselves. We don't really seek the Lord in our downtime. We just kind of do it when people are watching. So if my kids are coming through, open up the Bible. Or, or if my parents are swinging by, open up the Bible. Make sure I go to church. Make sure I do the right thing. And what we do is we don't really develop true roots. We don't have a personal walk with Jesus to where we're hanging on and clinging to the spiritual nourishment that comes only from the Lord. And so without any roots, when things go sideways, we bail. As for what was sown among thorns, verse 22, as for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. There's no truth when you're surrounded by thorns. There's no truth when you're surrounded by thorns. The cares of the world, the deceitfulness of of riches what is it you're pursuing remember the scripture said seek first the kingdom and his righteousness many of us we seek first the promotion we seek first the the income we seek first the the graduation cap we seek first the title the prestige what is it if you were honest with yourself today that you're seeking first and then it gets down to verse 23, as for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and, and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, another thirty. 
Faith grows on fertile ground. Faith grows on fertile ground. Many of us, we need to till the soil of our hearts again. It's nice to celebrate Easter. It's great to swing by church. But that's become a rhythm. That's become something you check off in your own heart. And as a result, you have to ask the Lord, is this ground fertile? Can you do a work in me? Can you really use me to change the world around me? Can, can you really use me to see my coworkers meet, meet the Lord? Can you really use me to see my wayward children see that there's a change in me and come back and trust the Lord? Can, can God do anything with me? Am I fertile ground? He put another parable before them saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, the enemy came, sowed wheat among the wheat, and went away. So when the plants came up and bore the grain, the weeds appeared also. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, do you not sow good seed in your field? How does it have weeds? He said, An enemy has done this. So the servant said to him, Then, do, then what do you want us to do? Go gather them? But he said, No, lest in gathering the weeds you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest, and at harvest time I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat in my barn. He put another parable before him. He said, the kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and he sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, it is larger than the garden plants. Look at this. And becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. He told another one, the kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took in three measures of flour, and it was all leavened. A faithful life is a fruitful life. A faithful life is a fruitful life. I, I want to look at this seed for a second. You see, church, many of us, we, we, we understand the, the faith of a mustard seed, faith of a mustard seed. If I'll just have a faith of a mustard seed. But I want you to look at a, a different angle to the seed. The scripture says that the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, is like a grain of mustard seed that a man sowed in his field. It's the smallest of all seeds, but when it's grown, it's larger than the garden plants, and it becomes a tree so that the birds of air comes and make nests in its branches. You see, many of us, we've settled. I, I just need a good job. I just got to pay the bills. I just have to love my wife and kids. I just have to be a good neighbor. I, I just kind of have to do my thing, and I'll go along to get along until I'm gone. But what does the scripture say about the kingdom of God? What does it say about those of us that are part of a different kingdom? Is it that we just kind of do our thing and we just kind of, we, we, we go along to get along, we just kind of go by, we're a nice guy, and, and, then we, and then we die? No, what it says is the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed that when it's planted, it grows up stronger. It doesn't settle for being just another ordinary person on the neighborhood block. It doesn't just settle for being an average dad. It doesn't just settle for being an okay wife. It doesn't just settle for doing enough as a mom until 18 and kick the kids out. It doesn't just settle. What it does is it grows up and becomes a tree, and not just a tree. But a tree to the point that's strong enough that other lives depend on it. 
That the birds of the air will come and make nests in the branches. The kingdom of God is such that you and I, as Christ followers, as we grow up and as we use all of our potential, we don't just say, Lord, help me to be able to take care of my family. Lord, help me to be able to take care of my problems. Lord, help me have enough income. No, no, no. The kingdom of God is, Lord, grow me up so strong to where other lives can depend on me. Grow me up so strong to where I can leverage everything I am, all that I am and all that you are, and everybody else out there can see that I'm, I'm worth leaning on, that I'm somebody you can count on. Grow me up strong to where my neighbor can look over and when they're in danger or when they're having a hard time or their marriage is falling apart, they look over and say, that's a strong tree. That they've got something going. They're not just enough to get by. They are somebody that stands out. They are somebody that is seeking the Lord. They are somebody that has surrendered to the Lord. They are somebody that have deep, deep roots. And the Lord is growing up in them. And they are strong enough to handle other people's lives. Not only their own. Many of us have committed the sin of settling. What is our focus? What are we seeking first? What is our, our desired sphere of influence? Now listen, not everybody's gonna be a senator, a congressman. Not everybody's gonna own a company. Not everybody's gonna have a, a name. Not everybody is ever gonna be on a stage. And I got news for you, the greatest people that I know aren't on a platform, but they have determined in their lives that they will be so strong in the Lord that other people can depend on them. I really believe in our culture. A lot of times we as Christ followers, we, we point our finger and we wag at what's going on here or there, that group or this group. But then we basically put our heads back in the sand and we settle. As long as it's not affecting me. Lord, I, I, I know there's lots of orphans out there, but I mean, I'm busy with my two kids. Lord, Lord I know that there are people that are dying from preventable illnesses but I'm going to be over at Starbucks this afternoon. Lord, Lord I, I know that, that, that there are children around the world that can't get an education, and it would take about 30 cents a day to take care of this problem, but, I mean, you know, times are tight around here. And what we do is, is we settle. We don't ask the Lord, Lord, leverage me for the kingdom of God. Grow me up, not only strong enough to where I can handle what you've put on my plate, but grow me up strong enough to where the branches of my life can sustain other lives that are in need. Leverage me for your glory. That is the kingdom of God. Have you ever asked the Lord, have you ever prayed, Lord, I ask not only for my supply, but that you would make me a rest for others. The Christian life fully surrendered is not one focused on simply getting by or settling. The Christian life is the one that asks the Lord, your will, not mine. 
And here's the reality about the kingdom. The reality about the kingdom is you're not in the kingdom unless you have a king. You're not in the kingdom unless you have a king. You see, a, a kingdom is simply the territory where the rule and the reign of the king extends. So the kingdom of God and the people that are in the kingdom of God are allowing the rule and reign of the Lord to move in their lives. But there are many, many people that have settled with their lives to just say, Lord, as long as I can make it to Friday, Lord, as long as my kid behaves well and doesn't get arrested. And when we do this, we're not asking the Lord, Lord, have your rule and reign in my life. Leverage everything that I am and all that I have for the goodness of God in this community. I look around and I wonder. Sherwood's been blessed to have a lot of people surrender to the Lord. But I look around and wonder, is any, anyone settling? In your heart of hearts, when you think about what stresses you, does it stress you that there's malnutrition and poverty? Does it, does it stress you that there's active racism? Does it burden you at all? Does it burden you? That there's a lost and dying world all around us that needs to hear the gospel? Or are we worried about making it through till Friday? The sin of settling. It goes on, and, and all these things Jesus said to the crowds in parables, and indeed he said nothing to them without a parable. This was to fill what was spoken by the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter these hidden things since the foundation of the world. Then he left the crowds. He went to the house, and his disciples came to him saying, Explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field. And he answered, The one who sows the good seeds is the son of man. The field is the world, and the good seed is the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one, and the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is is the end of the age and the reapers are the angels just as the weeds are gathered and burned in the fire so will it be at the end of the age the son of man will send his angels and he will gather out his kingdom all causes of sin all lawbreakers will be thrown into the fiery furnace in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth then the righteous the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father he who has ears let him hear the reality is church is that we will live in worship or in the weeds we will live in worship or we'll live in the weeds. We'll be consumed by the thing of, things of God, or we'll be consumed by the things of the world. We will ask the Lord to, to plant in our lives and, and to make us strong, make the kingdom of God strong enough to meet the needs of those around us, or we'll pursue what the world is pursuing. We'll either worship, or we'll live in the weeds. Verse 44, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has, and he buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who in finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had, and he bought it. You see, when you know, when you know that there's something of immense value, 
you'll trade everything that you already have to go get it. If you, if you know that there is gold awaiting you, you'll drop the, the Play-Doh that you have in your hands. You'll say, Lord, this way of living, this sin of settling is not allowing the kingdom of God to flourish in my life. And so, Lord, I want to drop that mentality. I want to drop that way. And I want to go and I want to, in reckless abandon, I want to give all of that up in order to see the kingdom come in my life. I, um, I'm a kid that, that grew up in poverty. And many adults in my life when I was young reinforced this idea that I shouldn't seek God for big things. That I should just settle. I, I actually had a guidance counselor one time tell me when I transferred, looked at my paperwork, looked at where I came from, and said, Son, don't ever think about going to college. And, and now as an adult, I understand that this, this person was just simply prophetically speaking their own life over me. That they believed that, their, their, that your life was, was only whatever conditions were around you. They believe that if you were hurt, you have a right to remain hurt forever. They believe that if your dad wasn't there, then that's already a strike against you, so therefore don't even try. They believe that if you were an orphan or abandoned or abused, they believe if any of those things happened to you, you should just find your place in life and settle. They believe that if your parents had been divorced and the ones your grandparents had been divorced, then guess what? Don't believe that God's going to build a great marriage in your life. They believed in settling. And they wanted to pronounce that over me. But I got news for you. I believed in King Jesus. I believe that God doesn't make junk. I believe that you can bloom where you're planted. And I believe that if you'll embrace who God designed you to be, and you will leverage it all for the kingdom of God, that he'll take you further than you ever thought you would go. That he'll radically change your life. And, and only because of submitting myself to the Lord Jesus. I have a healthy marriage of almost 20 years. Two amazing kids. And I'm blessed to preach at a place like Sherwood. That's only God. But it's because there was a time when I was about 13 years old in a prayer when I cried out to God, I was bouncing a rubber ball in the inner city projects, no father around, everybody I knew sold drugs. And I said, Lord, is this all you have for me? And I felt in my heart, I felt that the Lord spoke to me, Tala, you just trust me. You just do what I ask you to do when I ask you to do it. Don't try to get ahead, but don't ever believe that you have to settle with your life. I'm not done with you. 
And church, I want to tell you, he's not done with you. Maybe you had a dream as a child. Maybe the Lord put a burden on your heart for an unreached people group. Maybe there's a kid in the neighborhood that you know that you've supposed, you were supposed to reach out to by now, but you've got a lot of other stuff going on. Maybe, maybe giving resources to missions or ministry has been a stretch for you. I don't know what the cap is, but I want to ask you this. Don't settle. Let me be like the runners in the race at the 5K. And let me cheer you on. When you can feel your lungs burning on the outside of your body, when your legs are tightening up and they don't want to let you move another step, let me be that person. Let the, the, the Lord be that one that's shouting out, don't settle. Don't stop. Keep moving one foot in front of the other. The kingdom of God is like the tree that grows so strong that it's not only worried about itself, but it's able to help others. Your life matters a whole lot more than you realize. Jim Elliott said this quote, and you've heard it before, but it's applicable here. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Some of us were holding on to brokenness. Some of us are holding on to bitterness. Some of us are holding on to anger. Some of us are holding on to the idea that you were told that you weren't enough. Some of us are holding on to the fact that, that I don't have a college education or my parents don't have the money to send me there or whatever it might be, you're holding on. And as a result, you've told yourself it's okay to settle. And I'm here to tell you this morning, don't settle. Seek the kingdom. Ask the Lord to move in your life. And I promise that what the Lord has in front of you is so much more than you could ever dare to ask, hope, think, or imagine. But you've got to make a commitment. Lord, I will not settle. I don't want more than what you have for me, but I don't want less. Can we stand and pray? I want to open up the altar. If this morning... The Lord has spoken to you about settling in your life, complacency. If you know that the Lord has, has called you to do more, you know that the Lord has, has birthed in you a vision that maybe you've put on hold. Maybe you know in your marriage, on the way here you're fighting in the car. Maybe you know that, that you've settled as a husband or wife. Maybe you know and you've settled as a father. You, you haven't led the home like you should. Maybe you know that you've settled into a comfortable, complacent life. And maybe this morning you might be honest before the Lord and you might say, excuse me, and you might say, i got to do business with the Lord because I have committed the sin of settling. But if I'm to be in the kingdom, the Lord is to grow me, stretch me, mold me, make me. 
a greater man or a greater woman for his kingdom. Maybe you're a young person and you say, Lord, all I can think about is how I'm not good enough. I'm not as talented as others. Or maybe I'm not as smart. Maybe you dropped out of school and you say, Lord, I know that you've called me to go back, but I've been scared. Are you settling? Maybe forgiveness is a foreign word, but you've settled with holding on to bitterness and anger. And you need to hand that over to the Lord this morning. All across this room, I want to invite you Ask the Lord, Lord, would you help me to no longer settle? I don't want more than you want for me. But I don't want less.